Welcome to the Fearless Sellers, the Women of Amazon podcast. I'm Joey Roberts. Yeah, so tax audits are, are, are a weird thing. They used to be a lot more common when the IRS had a lot more employees, a lot more revenue agents. The bigger that you get, and this is not my supposition, this is st- statistics put out by the Ben Robinson, welcome to the Fearless Sellers podcast. You're an entrepreneur, the co-founder of Keep Metrics, where you help business owners save money and know exactly where their money is actually going. This is a hard topic for a lot of people, really just money in general, in personal life, and definitely in business. So I'm really excited to dig in and learn from you. Well, thanks for having me here, Joey. It's a pleasure to be on. And you're right. Money is a very sore subject and we like to have it, but we don't like to talk about it. And I know as Amazon sellers, you guys didn't get into this for bookkeeping and all the kind of nerdery stuff that we're going to be talking about today. However, it is so important because it's the scoreboard of your business. So excited to talk about how we can improve that score and help you to throw a bunch of dollars to your bottom line. Yeah, it is the scoreboard of the business. That's a really great way to put it. I've never heard it said that way. And yeah, people get into selling on Amazon, cool product. There's some passion, but really we're all doing it to make money. And the money is all in your your bookkeeping. And I'm an Amazon seller and I I struggle with looking at my books too. It is, it's hard to look at it. What is the essential tasks that Amazon sellers should do? Like what exactly should I be doing? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. Number one, you should be keeping up with it. You or somebody that you have hired should be keeping up with it. One of the biggest mistakes that I see is that people wait until tax time. They wait until the end of the year. They wait until it's really too late for the bookkeeping and the reports to give them insights into how their business is doing. So the fact that you're interested in that, and number two, the fact that you're actually doing it and inputting your transactions, that's the most important thing and making sure that we're doing that frequently, maybe daily, maybe twice a week, maybe twice a day, just depends on your volume. But number one is making sure that we're capturing all the transactions and making sure, secondly, that we're categorizing those transactions properly. So we have to put every single transaction, every dollar that comes in or every dollar that goes out, We have to put these in buckets. And so not only do we want to record everything, we also want to categorize it and categorize it properly in a chart of accounts that is custom to e-commerce because, hey, we all know that e-commerce is a very nuanced business and a general account structure is not a one size fits all. So making sure that we have those things. But I would tell you that's the very first thing is that we're recording everything and we're categorizing everything properly. That's number one out of the gate. And that sounds like very well said the way you said it. But when I hear that, I'm a little bit like, oh, really? I have to do that. And it's there's just so many moving parts with my cost of goods and with running my business and with just little things I have to buy. So um, like, what are the accounting methods or is there do you guys have your own software? I've used QuickBooks in the past with my first Amazon business. Yes. Yeah. Uh, most people, it depends on the size of your business and what do you need it for. Most For most sellers, QuickBooks Online will do a good job for you. Um, it does have its limitations. It does handle inventory, but that's not what it's intended for. This is a bookkeeping application. 
uh, meaning that it helps you to record the transactions, which I mentioned earlier, categorize those transactions, reconcile those transactions, which is a fancy way for saying I'm double checking my work, making sure that everything has been recorded, everything is recorded in the right dollar amount, the right dates, et cetera, like that. But QuickBooks Online is probably going to get you ahead of the game. It's going to make sure that you have a structure. From there, we can do some hacks to actually help you facilitate that process so that you don't have to do a lot of data entry. So there are these things called bank rules or automation rules is what you can think of them inside of QuickBooks where you can teach it, hey, if I go to, let's say Walmart, that's typically office supplies. So I can set it up where the bank, my bank, whether it's a checking account, a savings account, or my credit card, I can make sure that that information is being fed automatically into QuickBooks Online. And then from there, QuickBooks Online is doing most of the data entry. We still have to check it. We still have to make sure that, hey, this time I went to Walmart and it was actually for office equipment, not office supplies, because I bought a couple of TVs, let's say, for the office. So it needs to be categorized. So there is a checking mechanism, but making sure that we're capturing everything and making sure that we don't have to do the data entry because, heck, who likes to do that? So it can help you to do that. But having those bank feeds set up, and that's a pretty simple process to do inside of QuickBooks Online. It walks you through how to do that. And if you're still intimidated by it, obviously getting a, a professional, somebody who can help you at least set that up so that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure in this case, making sure that if you've been doing things inaccurately for months or years, it becomes a big old mess and that's not what we want. So it does pay to get somebody to help you set this up properly if you don't feel comfortable doing that on your own. Yes. And I like that you brought up that point is in the beginning, it doesn't feel messy because it's like, oh, your first month or your first six months of selling. But yeah, when you go, you know, a year, two years and three years, and especially if you want to exit your business, it has to be, oh, the yeah. books have to be clean. And I exited my first brand and the very, very first thing every potential buyer did was just want to open my books and, and dig into oh, there yeah. and ask questions. They didn't care you know, they didn't want to hear my cool marketing tactics I was doing on Amazon. They just wanted to see my numbers. Exactly. Like, hey, I went to the football game. What's the very first question everybody asked? Well, what was the score? Who won? And it's the same thing in business. If somebody's looking at evaluating you or you're looking at just evaluating yourself, how can we know how we're doing if we don't have this information? So while it's not the sexiest of things to talk about in our business, like marketing and product selection and putting it up, you know, optimizing listings and things like that. It's so important to make sure that you know the score. This would be if without having it, it's like playing a football game or playing a basketball game and no scoreboard is up there. That's just not heard of. And so, again, it's not it's not the I always say bookkeeping is boring, but cash is king. And that's one of the ways that you really figure out how to create more cash flow, how to create more profit, how to create more net income. And that is by measuring, you know, I believe measure, you measure what matters. And, and so bookkeeping is obviously the number one most important thing. And you're right. If somebody comes in and wants to evaluate your business in order to purchase it, what are they purchasing? Well, they're purchasing a future cash flow. What is the future cash flow based on? It's based on current cash flow. And that's one, one of the metrics that yeah. bookkeeping obviously gives you and insights and QuickBooks Online can help you, but it's just a tool. So staying on top of it is of utmost importance, especially if you want to exit. Yes, exactly. And so when Amazon sellers are tracking their cost of goods, I mean, mm -hmm. really everything for their business, but I, I always um, I always get hung up on my cost of goods. There are 
a couple different methods, right? Like um, I'll let you tell me, but there's like the cash flow method or or accrual or or what are the methods? Yeah, so with inventory, there's there, mainly for everybody who's using this. You know, it's what we call FIFO. You like that? F I F O. First in, okay. first out. First so, in. Yeah, you're, but you're right. Let's back up a step and talk about the two types of accounting. And this applies to inventory as well as every other thing that happens in your business. There's the cash basis, which is like reading a non, which is like reading a fiction novel. And then there's the accrual basis, which is like reading history. It's like reading truth because accrual basis is the way to go. It is the only way to go because it is speaking the truth. And the reason that it does that is that with cash basis, I can manipulate, I'm not saying in a negative way, but I can quickly and easily manipulate my financial performance. For instance, if I pay next month's expenses today, in the cash basis, it says that I can deduct those this month when they were actually for October. So that's one of the downsides to cash. Also, with our inventory, we need to make sure that when we purchase inventory, obviously that's not cost of goods sold at that point. It's only cost of goods sold when it's actually shipped to the customer after the sale has taken place. So at that point, we take it out of inventory and then put it into cost of goods sold. So imagine if we weren't doing that, we could have, let's say we had a good cash flow last month. So this month we go out there and buy a quarter million dollars in inventory. Well, that should not be reflected as cost of goods sold until it's actually sold. It's the title of it right there. So making sure that number one, we're keeping your books on the accrual basis, which means you keep up with who owes you, accounts receivable, who you owe, accounts payable, and inventory. Those are the three big things as it relates to Amazon sellers and anybody who's in e-commerce or retail for that matter. And it just gives you a holistic picture of how your business is doing. Imagine that your doctor pulls blood reports and she says, hey, I'm not going to actually read the results. I'm just going to base it upon what I think. That's not what we want to do with our healthcare, and it's certainly not what we want to do with our financial performance. We want to make sure that we're looking at truth and accrual is the way to go. The reason that people push back on this, and I even get other accountants and bookkeepers that push back on it is, oh my goodness, uh, for tax purposes, I, I, I need to be cash basis. Well, that's fine. You can be cash basis for tax purposes and still watch your financial statements on the accrual basis. It's called, in a fancy term, accrual to cash conversion that every tax preparer that is worth their salt knows how to do, but we've got to measure our financial statements on the accrual basis because that is truth and cash basis is not. Wow. That was very well said simplistically because it's always been complicated <laughs> to me and now I understand it a lot better. And I've been, you know, running books and selling for, for yeah. a while. And, and it is, there's intricacies with, uh, bookkeeping for people who are selling physical products and buying inventory. And it's much different. I have a wallpaper company that I do for commercial design. And that is much different than, than buying hundreds, thousands of products from China and having to wire money and not getting that money back for months. Right. Yes. Yes. So, you know, and that's kind of going back to bookkeeping. You know, it, it does take cash flow away. But we're not recording the cost of goods sold. Therefore, we're not determining the profitability, whether that's gross profit or net profit or net income until we're actually selling it. So there's a lot of different metrics that we have to watch. And we do try to keep it simple. But the fact of the matter is this is business and it's not always simple as we would like for it to be. So the downside to accrual basis is it does take a little bit more time. But I would rather spend that extra time and maybe a little extra cost in order to get truth 
rather than making decisions based upon not so truthful information. Because not that cash is a lying, it does, it just doesn't match up things in the proper periods. So at the end of the time, a cash and accrual basis, let's say we had a five year of an entity and it started and it ended. At the end of those five years, everything would be the same. However, it's within that time period that things can really go askew if we're not making decisions based upon truth. So cash basis, I, you know, I get down on it just because I've seen people ruin their businesses because they're making decisions on cash basis financial statements. And, and that's just not a, a that's not a best practice at all. Yeah. And for forecasting, especially if you think you have, you know, the $50,000 sitting right there easily to just give to the supplier that you're not going to sell and get it. Um, yeah, that it's kind of clicking in my head a lot of times I've written big checks to suppliers and I've had to be extra careful to make sure that when it comes time for the, the, the landed goods where I owe the other 50%, like, am I going to have that money, even though it looks like I have it right now? Because, you know, yeah. I have to pay people and stuff. So yeah, really good point. Yeah. Wait, tell me what you were saying with the, the FIFO, the F-I-F-O. Yeah. So there's different ways of tracking inventory. And I don't want to get too technical because, uh, quite frankly, most of your sellers don't care. Um, but what it means is first in and first out. So let's say that I buy 10 widgets today and those 10 widgets are shipped to um, FBA. And so they're sitting on the shelves and I bought 10 widgets for $10 each. Now, there's going to be warning math ahead. So that's $100. Let's just say to be very simplistic. Sure. Um, and then tomorrow I buy 10 more and I buy them at $11, let's say. So I bought 10 at $10, $100. I bought 10 $11, so $110. So now I have what? $210 in inventory. Well, how do I determine which one was sold? Does Amazon say, hey, we actually sold this one right here? Yeah, they have some reporting mechanisms, but FIFO, basically what it says is that first in, first out. So it would say, hey, today I sold one of those units, one of those first 10 that I bought or one of the 20 that are sitting there. Therefore, I'm going to take the first ones, first in, and say that that was my cost of goods sold. So I'm going to reduce inventory by $10 for that one unit, and then I'm going to actually increase or, or reflect $10 of cost of goods sold. That is the most common method that is used. Um, there are other methods out there that I don't really want to get into because they get very complicated, but that's probably the one that you're going to be using. And it's probably the one that is going to be the most accurate. There are extenuating circumstances, gas and oil. They have to use what's called LIFO, last in, first out. Different nuances, but for you guys, it's mainly going to be using the FIFO method of, of accounting. And that probably just blows a lot of people away. Uh, but if you're... If you're using in a lot of the Amazon reporting, obviously it helps you to figure that out based upon your basis. But FIFO is is typically the way to go. I can't say 100 percent, but most of the time it is the right method to use. And is it easy to switch to that? Like if, if somebody's not already doing that, like what's the best way uh, to just clean up or switch to yeah. be doing this better? So first thing would be to take a physical inventory count. Now, I know that you're not able to actually go into the Amazon warehouses and determine, but as best as possible, getting as close to that determine, hey, what is my actual inventory today based upon what I paid for it? Coming up with that, making any adjustments, because a lot of times what happens is your, your financial statements, your balance sheet will show I have inventory of 99,000. 
And then I actually go and take an inventory count and I only have 96,000. So there's three thousands that's unaccounted for. Was it stolen? Was it obsolete? Was it thrown away? Was it product that was returned? What was the case? So we have to first fix that. And now we say, okay, now my books show that I have $96,000 in inventory. My physical inventory count, or in this case, a report from Amazon says that I have $96. So now I know that I'm clean. So moving forward, I will now start using the FIFO method or whatever methodology that you're going to be using. So it's not going back and, and fixing stuff. Typically, uh, it's moving forward and coming up with that. But having some sort of physical inventory count or as close as you can get to it, that is where this process starts. Doesn't that sound like fun? Going out there and checking all the shelves and... You know, we go into Home Depot and you see all the shelves that says DNI do not inventory because they're going through and they're actually doing this yeah. thousands of store wide. So uh, be glad that you don't actually have to do that. That is not a fun thing to have to do. Yeah. And I had to do it. I switched um, in 2021 when supply and demand was really tough. I switched from FBA to FBM fulfilled by merchant instead of Amazon shipping. And yeah, I had to go and count every little piece for inventory and Ben, I got to tell you, I still oversold by 50 units and I ran out of stock. So mistakes yeah. happen and you learn. But the biggest thing about the bookkeeping that I was trying to stay on top of and aware of when I was running out of inventory is those are key reasons that businesses go under. Mm -hmm. And you can have great employees and you can have a great product, but when you mismanage inventory and your books, you're really putting the entire business at risk. It, it, absolutely. And I'll tell you, here's a little trick that I've learned with, with my clients and helping them is pretend that inventory is cash sitting on shelves. So let's say that you have $100,000 in inventory. Well, that's a very, okay, I can picture it sort of, but imagine that you had $100,000 in cash, $20 bills sitting on a shelf. Where would that shelf be? It would be by me all the time. Matter of fact, when I move room to room, I may push it in there in a cart because I'm watching it like a hawk. And if you start to really picture your inventory as that cash, it changes the dynamic because let's face it, that's what it is. Your hope is to take that $100,000 in inventory and turn it into $400,000 in cash. But while it's sitting there, you want to protect what is already there. And a lot of people don't have that perception, but that's the number one thing that your cash is tied up in most likely is your inventory. So we need to treat it with the respect and we need to treat it with the detail that a lot of people quite frankly don't. So think about it again from the cash sitting on a shelf rather than widgets sitting on a shelf. Yeah. And that's, that's a good way. And I, I am having a flashback to some employees <laughs> where the work area wasn't very clean and some of the stuff just got thrown on the floor and something broke. I was like, well, you know, that was like 50 bucks that just got thrown yeah. and broken. Oh, yeah. And also with the inventory, um, replacements and returns are difficult to track, especially mm -hmm. for Amazon sellers where um, I always teach people like, hey, it is better to capture your customers and have them email you directly for a replacement or for a piece, then go through Amazon. So that's what I do with my businesses. But I have never done a great job of tracking like, okay, well, this $8 piece went out. And, you know, now my inventory can even be mismatched. Like I can't make a full unit because I sent something. Yes. Yes, that is something that needs to be accounted for. And I tell you, when you're doing transactions on a daily basis or at least a weekly basis, you remember things, 
right? We can't remember, heck, I can't remember what I had for dinner last night, much less ask me about a financial transaction that happened six months ago. So going back to my original contention is that we need to stay on top of this because recency is very important. And knowing, okay, this product came back, so now I need to know and go and write it off. You remember that today. Six weeks from now, maybe six hours from now, you don't remember that. So again, keeping it current is one of the biggest things that I tell people that they got to do because these things slip outside of your mind if you're anything like me. And the older I get, the more that they slip. (laughs) Yes. And this is what you're why you created Keep Metrics, right? To help people, entrepreneurs do this and make it, take that pain point away so that they can really focus on running their business. Yeah, we, we, like, to, we like to work with folks who are really good at selling and they're interested in the finances, but they're not so much interested in the mechanics. What they're interested in is taking the reports and somebody like us being able to interpret them and say, here's what we're seeing with the numbers. Now, you take this information and make decisions in your business based upon what we are telling you. And that really creates a dynamic duo, if you will, of a really good seller who knows how to sell and is interested in their financial statements. And then somebody like us being able to come alongside and do the work and then interpret that information. Because you may have, I know some of your, uh, your, your folks here are probably using an, an external bookkeeper or an accountant to do their information. And what happens is that most of the time they just get reports in their inbox. And they may look at one number. Hey, what was that income or what was my profit? But they don't truly understand those because it's a lot of dollars, right? There's a lot of cents and numbers and most people, numbers just freak them out. So it's important for you and everybody here to have somebody who can interpret that, either yourself or some third party. And that's what we do at Keep Metrics is really we come alongside and act more like a a CFO uh, than a compliance officer, which is what most of the time that anybody is in accounting and tax and bookkeeping, they're mainly checking boxes. And not that that's not important. I don't mean to degrade that at all, sure. but it's the starting point. It's not the end. But we have to have information. We have to comply with tax and we have to comply with other regulations. But from that, it's like, OK, well, how can I use the history of my business, of my financial statements to affect positive change on the future? And so it's really important that you have somebody alongside you who can do that. And what I love about working with with you guys, because you know, we trust you with our books is I do treat you kind of like a CFO. I'm just asking any question I have because yeah. I'm like, Hey, can, can I run this through the business? And then if I run it through the business, is it, am I going to be taxed on it? And what are the rules in the laws? Uh, yeah. Because, yeah. you know, we'll get into that in a second, but one of the benefits of running your own business is there's so many tax hacks, I'll call them that. Mm-hmm. I don't know about, and I'm trying to learn and navigate, and I'm really not that interested in it, but I get excited when I learn from you. I'm like, oh, well, actually, if if we can do that, I would like to take advantage of that or, you know, change behavior so I can do that. So let's talk about tax stuff. Um, it's a Ooh, fun. hot topic. People who had an extension, I think their taxes are due pretty soon. And then, you know, we're, we're yes. coming into Q4. Yes. Yes. So taxes, um, it may not be the case right now, but if your business grows to where you want it to be, I would almost bet that taxes, income taxes are going to be the number one expense. And if the number one expense is taxes, then shouldn't I focus my time on reducing it as much as the law will allow? 
we're not talking about doing anything shady. We're talking about operating within the confines of what the IRS says that we can do, and then any states that we're applicable to and paying taxes as well. So being proactive with that plan, because I'll tell you, tax is a job security blanket for me because it's always changing and it's never getting simpler. It's always getting more complicated. So there, it's, it's funny when you work in tax and I did for a number of years at a CPA firm, the number one answer that you get to any question is it depends. And it's kind of a tongue in cheek, but it's also truth because you can have two businesses that are the exact same, have the same exact taxable income. And if you're talking about a tax strategy, it varies based on that entity versus the other one, based on where the owner wants to take it, where the other one doesn't. So there's a, it's a sliding scale. There's so many different axes that we have to operate on to make sure that we're having a good tax plan. But number one thing I'll tell you to do out of the gate is making sure that you have the right type of legal entity and tax entity set up for your business because they're not all created equal. There are some different layers of things. And obviously this is a legal discussion, but having the legal protection and as well as being able to take advantage of the, the right type of entity for tax purposes is of utmost importance. And again, this is not a one size fits all. Okay. Beware of somebody that comes in and says, everybody should have an S corporation or somebody comes in, everybody should have an LLC. Everybody should have a C corporation. Um, there's no way for us to say that with such dogma. It is important that we look at your situation and say, what's best for you? What's best for you today? And what's going to be best for you where you see your business in five years? And how do we look at this as a dynamic approach? But number one is having that right entity and making sure that you're optimizing for your income taxes. Because, heck, if you can save 50000 60000 100000 sometimes a million dollars in taxes just by employing some savvy strategies, then you should absolutely do that. Because, again, it's going to be probably, as you get more profitable, the number one expense. So we need to pay attention to it. Yes. And now I'm thinking... It's like most Amazon sellers, when they're starting, everything is, well, I'm just going to set up an LLC. I've had LLCs. I've had S-Corp. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, for majority, I would say businesses, is it, if it's like a single owner or two owners, is it typically an LLC? Uh, again, it can vary. Um, so one of the situations, okay, is are both of them, uh, you know, at least residents of the, of the U.S. We have to figure it on that plane, right? So there's qualifications that the IRS is. Um, do you plan on selling it? Do you plan on taking on more members or more shareholders? Do you plan on buying one out? Um, you know, what are what are your cost structure? Do you, want, do you want to do a retirement plan? Do you want to do health insurance? So um, I tell you, an LLC is a very common structure, but there are two different planes here. So again, we talk about making it more complicated. Um, there's the legal side of things. So the state, in which you're domiciled, where, you're, where you set up your LLC, recognizes you as such, as a limited liability company. And then for tax purposes, to make things even more fun, you can say, hey, I'm an LLC for legal purposes, but over here, I'm going to act like an S corporation in the eyes of the IRS and the state. So uh, that there, there's, there's ways in which you can elect S corporation status being an LLC, but just for income tax purposes. And so this is where it's important not only to work with somebody who understands the tax side of things, but somebody who understands the legal side of things. Because while something can be advantageous for you on a tax side, if it hurts you over here, possibly on the legal side, that's not a best practice. We want to make sure that we're layering both. And so a lot of times we'll work with our clients' legal side of things to making sure that 
we're helping them to set up the right entity. If they're going into a new venture, making sure that that entity is set up again for the sole purpose of taking advantage of the tax rules, regulations and laws that are out there because there are a lot of ways to reduce your taxes. But if you're not paying attention to them or somebody else is helping you to pay attention to them, then you're probably missing out on a lot of money. Now, when you're first starting off, uh, that's typically not the case, right? You may be operating at a loss for a year or two. And that's actually helping you for tax. But hey, there are still ways to advance losses to make sure that you get even more income tax back. So even though you may be losing money and think that's oh, not important now, well, it is. And it can have lasting ramifications if the longer that you wait, the, the, the worse that it can become. So just make sure that if you're not the person, which 99% of the time we don't want to be the tax strategist in there, that you're using somebody who can help you to plan for tax reduction. Yeah, I think that's good advice. Just make sure that you're talking to somebody who who knows this and knows more than you. And and uh, I like to be around, you know, that's one of the things that we met at a Mastermind where we were trying mm -hmm. to be around people in the room who knew more about stuff than us. So I I really like having this connection with you because it's like almost like a security blanket. If you have somebody on your team of your business that knows this stuff better than you, it's kind of like you can exhale a little bit like, okay, I know you got me. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're obviously your crowd is doing the exact same thing. They're, they're learning from you. And so uh, one of my friends and mentor, Brian Kurtz said, uh, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. So, uh, like you said, I, I want to make sure that I'm in a room where other people are smart, especially when it comes to things that I'm short sighted on. And the older I get, the more I realize how short sighted I am on a lot of things. I used to think I knew everything and now I know about this much. And some of that has to do with tax and finance and all that sort of thing. But you're absolutely right. Coming alongside people who and really have made the mistakes and figured out how to do it the right way. That's, that's where I want to be. That's wisdom right there is learning from and not committing the mistakes that other people that are ahead of you are warning you about. That's a big yeah. thing. Not, I think Char Charlie Munger, uh, who is uh, Warren Buffett's partner, um, said, you know, they've gotten where they are today by not making silly mistakes. And taxes and finances are full and rot with silly mistakes that we can easily avoid. Yeah. Yeah, that's great advice. And staying on the topic of mistakes and taxes now, what mm -hmm. what are some mistakes that Amazon sellers, e-commerce sellers, really really people selling physical product products, like what are mistakes that you you have seen as it relates to taxes? Well, number one is not having the right entity set up. Uh, okay. So that we already talked about that one right there. Uh, number two is not having a plan, right? Mm -hmm. Not having a plan because you mentioned something that was very important. Here we're coming up on on Q four, and there's only so many things that we can do after the fact. So I would have a lot of new clients come to me in January, February, March, and April because taxes. And they would be like, hey, I want you to help me to reduce my taxes for last year. And I'm like, okay, we can do a little bit, but 90% of the advantages that we could have done, we had to have done last year. So we can't retroactively go back with a lot of the regulations and do them. For instance, let's say if you came to me in December and said, hey, Here's my balance sheet. Here's my income statement. Help me to reduce my taxes. And I'm going to look at everything. I say, okay, well, how can we defer income? How, we, how can we delay that? And how can we do it legally? Well, let's make sure that we're planning all that. Um, how can I accelerate expenses? How can I do that legally? Can I pay for things that are ne due next year, but I can deduct them this year? 
So this is where cash basis, if you're eligible underneath the IRS regulations, can help you. But that's just for tax purposes, right? So uh, that would help us out right there. Uh, but not deferring our income, not accelerating our expenses, not deferring any other income. So for instance, retirement plan, right? What's, what, what is a retirement plan? Whether that is as simple as an IRA, are you contributing to that by the deadline, April 15th deadline, uh, to a simple IRA, to a safe harbor 401k, to a I mean, there's just a, a myriad of things that we want to do. Are you a saver? Then that might be something. But having a plan. But some of the silliest things I see is that they're just not capturing all the expenses, not keeping up receipts. Yeah. Um, one of the one of the things I always, always recommend is that and this doesn't really directly relate to tax, but indirectly it does. Make sure that you're not commingling your funds, paying business expenses out of personal and vice versa. So I always recommend as a best practice, you have a checking account that's dedicated to the business, a savings account dedicated to the business and a credit card, at least one dedicated to the business. And the only transactions that are being reflected in those accounts are business transactions. Now, if you need money personally, then what we do is we transfer that from, let's say the business checking over to my personal account, I pay personal expenses. If I need to pay an expense, a lot of times I see people that have missed, oh, that, that was just $10 and that was $100. But over the course of the year, this can add up to tens of thousands of dollars in uncaptured tax deductions that we missed out on just because we didn't record them. So right. just kind of a tactic is having those accounts, making sure that you're separating business and personal and capturing the expenses that are already there and making sure you're not missing out. Because if you miss 10,000 in deductions, that could be forty. That could be $4,000 in unnecessary taxes paid. So wow. that's probably one of the biggest things I see. Yeah, that's really insightful. Thank you for that nugget. That's yeah, really welcome. good. Um, you know, while you were talking, I was having a flashback to our conversation about being audited, right? And <laughs> I have—I know you've been through audits. I'm, I'm going through it right now, Joey. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So let's talk audits. Is it just something that uh, business owners can expect to face during their journey? Can they be avoided? Like, tell me about this. Yeah. So tax audits are, are, are a weird thing. They used to be a lot more common when the IRS had a lot more employees, a lot more revenue agents. The bigger that you get, and this is not my supposition, this is st statistics put out by the IRS. So government stats are never wrong. But the bigger that you get, the more likely that you are to be audited. Okay. And the reason for that is just economics. Let's say that an auditor has 10 different cases on her desk that she could choose from. Well, who can she get the most money from? Because they are actually evaluated on how much money that they recover legally, supposedly. Um, how much can they recover? Well, if it's a $7,000 a year business, not much. If it's a $7 million a year business, a lot more. So the bigger that you become, the more likely that you are to be faced with an audit. I don't let that sway me. I don't let that discourage me. I just make sure that, number one, that I'm doing things inside the legal laws, that I'm not doing anything outside the scope. I'm not taking I'm not taking any, you know, something that I have a 25 percent chance of winning or something like that, because if that's the case, I actually have to disclose that to the IRS. I don't want to do any of those things right there. So an audit is is something that you hope you never have to go through. But be prepared if you do by, number one, doing things inside the law. Number two. Keeping, keeping up with all documentation, whether that be receipts, the reports that you have, having an organized system, because I've, 
I've got my pool table and it's covered with papers. I've already given the IRS over 800 pages of documents with another 800 or plus to go. These are individual receipts that I've printed out and put in binders. Yes, killing trees for the IRS and put in binders for them. But I have every single receipt. We're talking about an entity. This is not keep metric. This is bookkeepers.com, my other business um, that had over 7,000 transactions in 2021. So I'm basically printing off 7,000 receipts. And out of those, I've only missed about eight so far. But if I didn't have that process, if I didn't have that organization, if I didn't have my books, then the IRS is going to come in and I am I am free game. They, they are going to be able to manipulate me any way that they want because I don't have records. And know this, the IRS, if you take a deduction, whether that's cost of goods sold or rent or office supplies or salaries, it doesn't matter. The burden of proof is on you, the taxpayer, not the IRS. So I'm having to go in and basically substantiate expenses because that's my duty as the taxpayer. may not be fair, but that's the law. So I have to go in and substantiate everything. They have to prove my income. I have to prove my expenses. So making sure that you have that documentation, making sure that you have that single system that can report all that, that's the most important thing. So I always said, hey, if any, when, I, when I was in public accounting and, and, and currently now, if any of my clients get audited, I like to smile because I know I have every single work paper. The auditor could come in there tomorrow and there's really no preparation on my side of things. Um, I've been through scores of audits um, with the IRS and some with the states and very seldom were there any changes. And because the client and me were both organized and prepared for this. And the most important thing, we did things within the law. And what about credit card statements? Like if you don't have the physical receipt, can you go through Hmm. your credit card? Does that count? No. Ah. No, no. Credit card statements, bank statements are not substantiation in the eyes of the IRS. You actually have to have an individual receipt. So hmm. if you don't have a receipt, then you probably are not going to be able to deduct it. Now, my, what happened in my case is the auditor selected certain accounts that she wanted to see all the details. Some accounts she didn't ask for anything. So they can pick and choose. They don't typically go through and want to see everything. Uh, mine seems to get more involved. I think that I made this person mad because I can't I'm not giving the end to anything. I'm not giving them an inch because um, I think she's found $24 so far that I didn't report. And I think that uh, she spent a lot of time on this. So she's having to justify that. I can't remember what the original question was, but uh, what was the original yeah, question? <laughs> opening it up about audits. And that was a really awesome, insightful answer. I'm actually yeah. excited to even so, listen to it again because I'm, I'm very impressed and I'm impressed with, with your confidence of kind of the bring it on attitude because you've yeah. managed your personal books and your clients' books so well that you're kind of like, hey, let's let's face this and let's let's do this and get this headache away. Right. I don't want to. I don't want to have any of the. It's blocking and tackling, right? Uh, if if you have all your receipts, you obeyed the law. It's hard for them to find anything on you. You know, um, if you don't have receipts and you were flippant cavalier in your approach to taxes, then they've got you by the, by the ears. So just be very careful with that. Um, I'm, I'm confident only because the clients that we work with, you know, we, we basically have to force them sometimes to do the things that we talk to them about, but whenever they're audited, they're so thankful because basically they call us and and we take care of it from there. Um, But it's still, even though audit has five letters, I consider it to be a four letter word. What's the like a bad word, like the four letter word. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Audit. I don't want to hear that. You know, I, I but it, yeah. it's just part of doing business. 
Yes. So. It, I mean, for me, it's intimidating, but hey, you know, you're you're my bookkeeper. So uh, I'm like, all right, I'm yeah. ready to scale and grow big enough to be yeah. honored that the IRS would like to dig into my books. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, you don't ben, want it to ever happen, but if you do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Before we say goodbye, let's give the listeners information of how they can get in touch with you if they have questions or they want to use your services. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, just hello at keepmetrics.com. That's K-E-E-P metrics, M-E-T-R-I-C-S.com. Hello at keepmetrics. Uh, that comes to myself and it comes to uh, my business partner, Kevin Sterling, and uh, we answer all those questions. Uh, if, if we're able to help you, you know, most people that we help in, in, in situations like AMZ Insiders and other groups, um, a lot of times we just point them in the right direction, but lean on us as a resource. If we can help you, whether or not you become our clients, it's really immaterial to us. We want to make sure that you're taken care of, because let me tell you, e-commerce is nuanced. As you know, uh, most bookkeepers, accountants, tax repairers don't understand the industry. I'll tell you this, 80% of bookkeeping is bookkeeping is bookkeeping. It doesn't matter if you're e-commerce, a veterinarian or a candlestick maker, it doesn't matter. However, that last 20%, making sure that you're working with somebody who has that knowledge of e-commerce specific, because this is not something that you want to trust to a generalist. If I had heart surgery, I'm not going to go to see my general practitioner doctor. I'm going to see the cardiologist. And it's kind of the same premise right here. Although not dealing with life or death, we are dealing with the scoreboard of your business. So make sure that you're dealing with somebody who understands e-commerce, but hello at keepmetrics.com. Let us know if we can help. If you have a simple question or complicated question, we're here to help. Awesome. Well, Ben, it's always a pleasure to have you on. And we love that you're a regular with our AMZ Insiders community to come on and educate. So until next time, stay fearless. If you're already selling on Amazon or you're looking to get started and you want my help, go to amzfearless.com to book a free strategy selling session. We can see if we can help you out. That's amzfearless.com. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Fearless Sellers, the Women of Amazon podcast. Until next time, stay fearless. Fearless.